Welcome to Raising Consciousness with me, Lou Burrows, where raising human consciousness happens. On this show, I'm joined by guests to cover a range of topics and have conversations that will raise human consciousness for current and future generations. Now, let's dive into today's show. All right, hi everyone. Welcome back to Raising Consciousness. Today, I am I am joined by Jason Mark Campbell. Um, really looking forward to this episode. Um, I'm actually um, I've documented this before on the show and across my socials that how Wine Valley, uh, the platform, uh, completely changed my my life ultimately, my my personal growth journey. And uh, Jason is also is part of that platform. So I'm really happy that he's um, he's here uh, today, and we're going to have a fantastic conversation all about selling with love. So Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure to be here, Luke. Excited to be sharing with your audience. Excellent. So um, I think I would love to start by learning more about you. So learning more about how you actually got into, into this work of selling with love and what actually selling with love means for you. Yeah, that's so funny because I, ho- I host a podcast myself called Selling with Love Podcast. And that's a question I usually ask my guests. Uh... And now when someone's <laughs> coming to ask me, I'm like, oh, I need to prepare my own answer. But of course, um, you know, I I had a weird tendency growing up. And I, I don't know if it was a question of luck, was I predisposed to it, but I just happened to have one of my key memories when it comes to sales. Like we all have these key memories about sales that kind of define how we perceive sales. And I'll admit for the majority of people, those would be a negative experience, right? You know, I, I go on stages a lot and I talk about, you know, what's the ideal version, not the ideal, but the stereotypical type of salesperson you imagine, like what's the first thought that comes to mind. And oftentimes I hear something like a used car salesman, right? Like everyone's like, yeah, they, they have that idea of what that is, who that is and why we don't want to associate with this pushy, slimy, manipulative sales persona identity. We're not like that. And so I got lucky growing up because for me, one of my first experiences with sales was actually doing a charity drive in high school. And I don't know if any listeners had to do this, but they were asking me to go sell chocolate uh, from door to door to raise money for a charity. Uh, It was called the world's finest chocolate. And it was these like chocolate covered almonds. And I was, must've been like 14 at the time. And this is a, a memory that sticks with me because I ended up knocking at people's door, you know, being intrusive, but still just young knocking at their door. I was from like a really small village. So it wasn't that intimidating to go knock on a neighbor's door. And I'd just be like, Hey, you know, I'm from around. I live next door. I have these chocolates. Uh, Would you be interested in buying it for a toonie? And if there's any Canadian listeners, they'll know what a toonie is. And for everybody else, that's a $2 coin you find in Canada. And so people would be, Oh, that's awesome. Great chocolate. Before we were so health conscious and triggered about everything, (laughs) people were just like, great chocolate. This is fun. They'd give me two bucks. I'd end up giving them chocolate. I was like, oh, this selling thing makes people happy. I love it, right? And then I ended up going to the next door. And again, somebody's excited. They buy it. I'm like, wow, this sales thing is really fun. And already this would be a mild memory to kind of get me to be excited about sales and looking at it positively. But I'll admit there's a deeper side to the story is I think by the sixth door that I went knocking at, uh, the lady, when I said, hey, do you want some chocolate? She said, oh, uh, hold on, let me, let me ask my daughter if she wants any. And the daughter came down the stairs, ends up being about the same age as me. But since I'm French, she was going to the English school. I didn't know who she was. 
and she was gorgeous and ends up being my first partner, right? So we got in a relationship and, you know, it's by no accident that now I realize, oh my God, selling equals love. <laughs> but all in all, what I really speak about when it is all about selling with love is we often have these ideas of what selling can be. And I've always had this positive association with sales. I've been known as the sales guy in every organization I would join, but I wouldn't be the guy that, you know, we have this expression, which is selling ice to, uh, this might come up uh, inappropriate, but I know the expression was selling ice to Eskimos or Inuit, or, you know, I don't want to sound inappropriate, but I knew that was the expression that was being sold that people would say, oh, you could sell anything. You could sell ice to Eskimo, which would be people living in the North and in the, in the igloos is the stereotype, right? But I'd always correct them. I'd say, well, only if they need it, right? Because I think the concept of learning how to sell also comes with a responsibility of who you sell to if you actually are solving problems. And this is really what I'm trying to do is to advocate for people that guess what? Sales can be extremely powerful. Yes. Sales can be done in the way that feels comfortable for you. Yes. And sales can be coming from the heart and take responsibility and actually becomes a beautiful thing when you know what you offer is so much more than when you ask in return. And so this is what I'm all about. And this is what I'm trying to promote to the world. And I think it's going to fix a lot of problems along the way. Amazing, man. I love that. Um, so one question I, I did want to ask. So um, have you always been entrepreneurial as well? And do you think that... Um... Yeah, and, and kind of, yeah, we'd love to kind of dive a bit more into kind of like your, your background. You touched upon it there, but have you also, also always been um, entrepreneurial? Um, and what, where, where has that kind of led you on your journey? I'm going to make a reference to snowboarding. I've never made this reference, but I think it's going to be interesting. I, I remember the first time I went on a mountain to snowboard because as a Canadian kid, I needed to go snowboarding, right? That was the cool thing. Like skiing was all right, but snowboarding was the new sport. This is in the 90s and everyone's like, whoa, if you're cool, you go snowboarding, right? So I tried snowboarding and I hurt myself so bad um, that the next day I picked up some skis. For a couple of years, I was on snowblades. Then it took me a while before I decided to put on a snowboard again to go down the hill. Um, but in the process, I really enjoyed the skiing. I really enjoyed, you know, uh, these, uh, I think it was called snowblades, really short skis type thing. And, um, you know, I, I tell this story because in entrepreneurship, I kind of make a parallel to being a snowboard, right. Or being a snowboarder in the sense that there's a lot of hype about how cool it is, how it's better. Um, and, and in my case, you know, it, I, I was an entrepreneur in my early twenties and I kind of got burned. Um, I kind of had a failure where, it wasn't pretty. I ended up getting into a program. I was buying and selling real estate in America. Uh, this was back in 2010. You know, uh, the downturn happened in 2008 and properties were being sold for really, really big discounts. It was, it was kind of an insane time. So I was taking advantage of this opportunity, but in the process, I, I, I seek mentorship and only to realize that the people that were mentoring me were actually scam artists. And everything that I had learned was kind of you know, very dodgy. And I had to kind of relearn everything. And it was a dark time. I remember feeling a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. And I ended up selling the company really early on. I, I couldn't handle it. I got into a depression caused by stress. And I ended up finding an organization that was doing trainings. And, you know, they hired me and I went back to being an employee, which might be the equivalent of going skiing. Now, I'm not going to make a debate of which one's better, but, you know, bear with me here. I think a lot of times we go into entrepreneurship and we think this is the magical, the cool thing to do and the only way to do it. And guess what? I had a lot of learnings. I went into entrepreneurship and I found that I needed to go back into a career 
to kind of shape myself, grow myself, and take advantage of a lot of the privileges that come from working in a great organization. And now is only recently that I decided to go back into entrepreneurship. And I feel so much more ready, so much more prepared, so many more connections, so much more access to capital, that it makes me actually very much ready and excited to get back into it. And to kind of tie the story, now I love snowboarding. This is what I do still, although I haven't done it much since I'm living in Bali, Indonesia. But I can't wait to go spend a winter back in Canada and put a, you know, strap it on and go ride again. And for anybody who's considering entrepreneurship, the reason I tell this story is, yes, I've had a history of entrepreneurial inclination, but I'd be very, very cautious to take away the advantages that come when you find a career within a very amazing work culture that can allow you to accelerate your growth in a powerful way. So one question that I have is, um, do you feel like, or in your opinion, does one have to be a great salesperson to be a great entrepreneur? Yes. And especially when you take into consideration my definition of sales. Now, what I'd be afraid for people to take away from that statement is to think, oh, to be a salesperson, I need to be like Jordan Belford in The Wolf of Wall Street. I need to be this like quick talking, slick salesperson. And that's not how the reality of sophisticated sales processes are. It's not the reality of how sales for a small company does it for small clients. And I think that this actually does a disservice of how Hollywood positions sailed into being that type. And the reason they do it is that's the entertaining part of sales, right? Like if we look at the Mad Men, Wolf of Wall Street, the Glengarry Glen Ross, for those of you who are a little younger, you probably don't know what that movie is, but they have a great scene, YouTube, Alec, Bla- ba- uh, Alec Baldwin, can't say his name, Alec Baldwin, Glengarry Glen Ross, Brass Balls, <laughs> you will find a very entertaining video on YouTube, I promise. I'm going to do they, that. <laughs> oh, I, I honestly, it's, it's, I remember when I was in my early 20s doing telephone sales, which to a lot of entrepreneurs that I've spoken to with a history of doing telephone sales has allowed them to nurture at least getting over the fear of rejection. Nobody wants to be the telephone salesperson, but when you get to have such a high volume of connections with humans, seeing how that happens, knowing that when you're in sales, guess what? You're going to fail more often than you succeed. And if you've done any kind of personal growth, if you've ever tried to raise your consciousness, you often hear that failure brings growth. And I find that when you get into sales, that really supports your growth because you fail more often than you succeed. And so when someone decides I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't like selling, I think there's something to integrate within your own style that can be considered selling. And again, I don't want you to think I'm talking about being the slick talking, you know, stockbroker, real estate agent, used car salesman. Selling can happen in many ways, in beautiful ways that allows you to be authentic and know that you're in service. And I get a chance to interview the best sales trainers, the best salespeople and top entrepreneurs on my podcast. And it's so funny because this is the consistent thing that people teach in books, do on the job and speak about when they lead an organization is the qualities of a salesperson. Now, you would hear things like, listen, spend time understanding your client, have compassion. You're like, what? I'm not seeing this in the movies I saw about sales. But when you get to that top, top, and you're really focused on being successful as an entrepreneur, sales becomes a lot more boring and much less entertaining. You're just genuinely just serving people 
And if you're lucky and you have a great product, there's not going to be a lot of drama. And so the Hollywood hype thrives on drama. If you're running a business and it's an entrepreneur, you definitely need sales as a layer one, because guess what? If there's no revenue, there's no business. Like that's the min, that's the lifeblood of the business. So you need to have some salesmanship. And again, it can be done your way. And when you come from a place of service and you come from a place of love, you'll realize that it doesn't need to come with the baggage and negativity that most of us associate with sales. So I think, um, I mean, you know, what I'm prob probably going to say isn't uh, re revolutionary, <laughs> Jason, but um, um, I feel, I, you know, I feel like um, for, for people out there, it's to change their relationship with sales, right? To change how they uh, perceive sales and that's you know the journey that I've been on and I love that you touched there about listening and um and, and you know actually that's what it comes down to right is actually listening to what your client needs or your or your customers needs your audience needs and 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 providing that good product or, or that good service um for those who are, are listening or watching today's episode what are some of the maybe the more practical things that they can do to start to change their relationship with sales yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, when I, in my book, I actually lay out what are five different loves that happen in selling. And I think if we want to be prescriptive, I can at least list down these five loves and give you one way to think about it differently, or one thing you can do for each of these loves that will get you one step closer to selling from that emotion. Okay. So what I speak about are the five loves of selling. So pay attention to this one. The first love in selling you want to have is love the impact of what you sell. And that takes a time that you want to just think of what happens every time a sale you do is finalized. There's a product that's put in their hands. So what, what problems are solved for that person? Are they finding themselves saving money on X? Are they having to save time on Y? Or do they do something easier, quicker, faster, less risk problems being eliminated? I don't know what industry you're in, but if you are clear on the impact, like for example, I do sales training, sales consulting. And one of the things I'm clear on is if I can take an ethical business and teach them how to sell more effectively, they don't need to go out of business. They get to learn how to drive revenue. And now I start listing down all the benefits is that they get to have more revenue that allows to pay their staff. It allows them to grow. It allows them to make more impact. It allows them to actually have more money in their pocket too. support their family. Like I get very clear on everything that happens when that sale happens for my client. Because one of the things that might happen if you're hesitating on sales is you're not absolutely clear on how much value you're giving for the person you're selling to. Because I promise like the way I define sales is simple. Energy exchange between conscious beings. And when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, then it becomes effortless because you're truly wanting to let the person understand that you're here to serve, you're here to help them. And sales just becomes a translation mechanism, a language you use to make them understand how you're there for them and you really want to help them. So when you get clear on the value, you'll at least have that element clarified and you'll have less of the resistance. So get clear on that impact for the client, okay? The second love in selling is actually love the client themselves. And the best way to love the client is to understand them. And the prescription I would give you here is, have you had conversations with your past clients asking them, why did they buy? 
What was their life before they bought? What problem did it solve? Is there things they wish was done better? What other problems they have? Get curious. And this innate curiosity is a quality that you can definitely nurture to be better as an entrepreneur, better as a salesperson, and quite frankly, better as a human being. But if you have this interest in people and you truly are looking to understand them, that's the best way you can actually show love. The third love in selling is actually love the product. And loving the product is simple. I just tell people, listen, don't fake it. Make it awesome. Like just build a great product. And you might be at the beginning stages and that's okay. People will be forgiving on your mistakes if you're going to step forward and make it right by overcompensating, putting extra effort to make sure things are right. And I know you're listening to this and you have your best intentions forward. And so I have no doubt that you're looking to deliver a great product. And I suggest for people oftentimes is to do a powerful exercise that's really simple, but very empowering is whatever price point you're selling your product at now, let's say it's 200 bucks, $200. Imagine you have to add a zero and it's $2,000, right? Because oftentimes we'll discount our product because we feel like it's not enough, but imagine it's 10 times more. How could you package it so that you'd actually be okay selling it at 2000? And the reason I do this exercise is if you want to come from a place of love, you have to come from a place of abundance, joy, and enthusiasm. So now when it's 2000, you're not thinking, oh my God, like it completely takes your own anxiety out of the equation and you get to be creative. Oh, I could bundle or I could serve an entire company or I could offer service for a long time an early commitment or I could make a VIP experience. I could fly to them like have fun with this idea and try to think what would it look like if you had to build a product 10 times more expensive. And then you can go back to your original price and see if there's some of those ideas you can bring forward. Maybe you can change the price of your original product, but at least you're coming from a place where you're creating more value in your product. Now, I'd probably want to take a pause here because I find if you do these three loves more than anything, then you actually have the right to sell because you've gotten clear on the impact and you know you're making a positive difference. You understand your client which means you know that what you're going to offer is going to be so much more than what you ask in return because you know them and your product you've put in the love and you're offering something great that you're proud of selling. And I think once you've done these first three, now you need to get excited about selling. No, yeah. So on, so on that point, like something that came to mind for me was how, hmm, how we're making it about the people we're serving, right? Where sometimes I think we approach sales and we think it's so much about us and our ego and the ego gets in the way. I don't know if you agree with that and um, if you can if you can talk to that for, before we obviously move on to four and five. Yeah, I, I, I was being interviewed on another podcast and somebody asked me a question that I had to think about. And the question was, can you be needy and serve with love or sell with love? Because oftentimes it's the neediness of a salesperson that kills the sale. Like when someone's acting desperate, being sleazy and manipulative, it's because they're being needy, right? They're thinking of their needs above yours. And we feel it like energetically, we're like, oh, they're not here for my best interest. They're here for their own. And, you know, after I thought about it and I answered on this podcast, I said, you know what? I don't think we can. I think it's unfortunate that some people are in a position where their neediness can blind them to the opportunity that exists when you actually stop being needy and come from a place of service, come from a place of love when you sell. It might feel like you're making short-term sacrifices, but it starts building such a long-term value that it's worth exploring. 
but not everybody is in a position to be able to say, I need to sell with love because sometimes rent is due, bills are piling up, credit cards late, and you just got to do what you got to do to get the money coming in. And that's really unfortunate. Not everybody is in a position of privilege that they can actually start working on higher level of consciousness in the way that they sell, right? Because our most primary needs usually need to be met first. Simple, simple chart we could look at is something like Maslow's pyramid of needs. Like if you're fighting for survival, you're not feeling safe. It's very hard to start selling from a place of self-actualization and of your greatest good. And what I urge is if you're listening to this, you're more than likely one of the few that has at least the privilege of time to be able to listen to podcasts and educate yourself. You're looking to raise your consciousness. So I know that you're trying to do better and you're in a position where you might be able to consider what happens when you start selling with love. And here's the beauty is the more people start selling with love, it starts having ripple effects for everyone. It's like a tide that raises all boats. So if there are some people that aren't being able to see that selling with love is the answer, then we need to step up as role models to show the way. And this is my ultimate mission is to show ethical businesses how to sell with love, see them put them into action, become the new role models for everyone else who's in sales to realize that the old guard is gone. Those methods that are manipulative, slimy, salesy, and needy do not work. Buyers demand more. And now they can be inspired to realize that, hey, I can do this. I can be mentored and work for these growing organizations that have more positive sales cultures. Because we could expand this to talk about what happens when you have a toxic work cultures that support negative sales behaviors. That needs to go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or just, yeah, those negative workplace cultures um, in general, you know, I've, uh, I've been a part of those, Jason, and so they don't, uh, uh, yeah, they aren't good. Um, amazing. So um, in terms of tip four and tip five, what are they? Yeah, I thought I'd open a loop there. Um, but I thought it was important to stop here because here's what I mostly tell people is that I'll tell you what the fourth love is. It's love the process. Love the process of sales. But here's a mistake that happens, particularly if you're young and you join one of these organizations that might have a toxic sales culture, which is like always be closing, you know, go get their money, take it from their pockets. You know, like there's a lot of heavy culture, toxic culture that can exist in some sales organizations. And here's the reality of it is if you learn the process of selling without doing the first three, you can wield a lot of power. I mean, you can just have a look at what's happening in the, they call it the NFT and crypto space, right? You have some people that are shilling crap in a technology that's bringing so much innovation, so much beauty, but you still got some people shamelessly promoting pieces of garbage. And it's so unfortunate that they have no remorse because for them, they learn the process. They learn the psychology. They know the FOMO. I mean, you've probably seen it, you know, if you're paying attention, somebody's going to be on their social media just saying like, oh my God, we got this drop NFTs happening where if you want to get in early, Twitter, you don't want to miss out, get those degenerate gains, thousand X your money, be a millionaire before you know it. You don't want to miss out, buy my NFT. And then they just collect all the money and peace out. The process of selling is a powerful tool. And if we can look to our fellow neighborhood friendly Spider-Man, where in this scene always talks about the responsibility that comes with that power. The responsibility is this, be clear on the impact, the, the, 
Start loving the impact, loving the client, and loving the product first to earn the right to learn the process of how you can start using sales processes to actually be very effective at moving your product and service. And here's the thing. If you've done the work, the first three, and you start implementing sales process, it's no longer manipulation. It's empathy. As I mentioned earlier in the call, it's the language that is necessary for people to understand the value that you want to provide for them, the impact you want to provide for them. It's like I'm in here in Indonesia and I hire a, you know, a teacher who's teaching me Indonesian because if I go somewhere and I start speaking English and they don't speak English, they'll not understand me that well. But I learned a language so we can understand each other better and now things flow. Sales is just like that. It's a language, an emotional language, a process language that allows you to actually have that empathy and communicate better. So now people can understand what you're trying to do for them. And your impact first, you understand them, you've done your homework and you've built a product, then go out there and sell enthusiastically because that is something that really the world needs to see is people building great products and services and great businesses as entrepreneurs that are truly solving problems need to be put in the front of the people that have those problems and solving it for them. And by having sales at the forefront, then you'll be able to generate revenue to do this and you'll make profit to do this and you'll organize and be more efficient and serve more people when you do this. And that's ultimately what I want to see. Amazing. Um, a little bit off topic, but but as you mentioned it, what's your um, quick hot takes on the NFT space? NFT, I think is too early. Uh, and, and just because I am not deep into it, like I'm not a developer, I'm not a programmer. I see it as one of the most exciting things that is happening as far as how it's going to revolutionize the way that we store public information. And I'm talking here about like when you do real estate, for example, the contract that you signed the deed that shows that you have proof of ownership for the property is kept in separate records for every county or every country does it separately. And those are supposed to be public records. But imagine it was on a blockchain, NFT, unique, non-fungible tokens that show that you own certain assets, goods and services, or land or real estate, and it's immutable. We're going to reduce a lot of corruption. We're going to create a lot of efficiency. And I think it's going to be a beautiful thing. And so many other in industries are going to see the same, whether it comes on, you know, copyright and, and, and music rights and, and design rights and cop like all of those trademarks. If you have it in the public space with smart contracts, now people will be able to do some beautiful things. As far as the art, I think that's just cute. I think the art of NFTs is the equivalent of how people were just buying domains in the dot-com boom. Where it's like, oh, if I own pets.com, like it's the domains that are valuable. And now we realize like, yeah, some domains may be a little expensive, but the most of them are 12 bucks on GoDaddy. Um, I think the NFT space is going through that growth sprout. I think the crypto space is definitely a few years ahead on their adoption curve. And the NFT will definitely become something. So if you're not all in on knowing what's going on, you're probably one of those people that are getting swayed by the FOMO. And I have to share, I think it was Alex Hormozzi who said uh, an advice he heard from a billionaire on his social media. And this is Alex Ramosi. He's a genius uh, sales and marketing guy. And he said, like, if you're feeling, oh, it's too late. Did I, like, I'm missing out and you feel that FOMO, it probably means that it's about to go down. And, and that should be an indicator for you to stop and assess. So if you're really feeling the FOMO, you might want to do a gut check. Yeah, thank you for that. No, because I'm kind of um, obviously uh, on on all social platforms and Twitter as well. I feel like that's a lot, a lot of kind of noise on Twitter and discord as well. That's where a lot of the 
um, kind of uh, NFT communities and are kind of based. And um, I'm at, so I'm actually a huge um, follower of Gary Gary V, and obviously he launched yeah. his own own project. So I'm kind of just what we're just watching to be honest, because I don't really understand the the, the space, and so I just kind but, of want to get your yeah. I think you're doing the right thing watching and like when things are very early stage, that means there's a lot of ignorant people that are going to jump in. And if you want to be one taking advantage of it, well, you better become an expert, like a sophisticated person in that space. Because when it's early adoption, if you're not sophisticated, you're probably the fool being sold to, and it's probably not the value that you were looking for. Yeah, true, true. Um, just on that point, do you feel that, um, it's just something that came to me that one of the challenges that when it comes to the relationship with sales is that we don't see ourselves as the expert and and so therefore we don't feel that you know if we're selling a product or a service that we are deserving of that and you know it's just something that came up came up for me and yeah so if i understand your your question correctly is that do you feel like the blocks in sales is because we don't feel like we're good enough in selling that we should not even yeah, do it yeah 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 you know that's a good question and it it fascinates me, right? Because when I wrote my book about selling with love and when I teach people, my core people that I am targeting are small business owners, coaches, consultants, and creatives. Okay. And what I found fascinating is there's tons of sales professionals who come and listen, tell me that this is helping them in their job. And then I went to look at statistics for professional full-time salespeople. And I look at the struggles that they have, which they don't follow up. Um, they're, they're having struggles making calls. They're feeling reluctance. They're hesitating. I'm like, my God, like people that are entrepreneurs face that. And I can understand it because they don't feel like sales is their primary job, but people that their primary job is sales are feeling the same blocks. What's going on here. And so I'll tell you, you know, if you're out there and you have passion for the product or service that you're selling, know that the sad to say, but there's no regulation to be a salesperson. The bar to be average is extremely low. Like if you just genuinely care about the impact, you know, that first step, if you just, you're like, wow, when I sell this, it helps people. And you just take this from this conversation is when you meet someone just saying like, hey, uh, you know, hey, Luke, um, when you get sales training with you, I, uh, like when you get tr sales training with me, it's actually really going to help you. And I'd love to talk to you about it. You're already ahead of majority of professional salespeople that don't care. Like just lead with that, you're above average. And if you want to get into the top tier, like getting into top, you know, 10% still easy. Now, maybe the 1% starts dealing with very sophisticated, professional, long-term salespeople, but you can be in the top 10% and doing just that will make you extremely successful, extremely impactful, extremely influential. And you'll have a lot of people that are going to be grateful for having done business with you, to have bought your product and service, to have listened to your ideas, or, you know, if you're using this for other means, such as getting a job, that is a sales process, or maybe you're leading a team and you're trying to get them all aligned to a certain quarterly goal. That's a sales process. Sales processes are everywhere. And that's why I want to make sure that we're not putting it in a box mm. and says, that's those people over there. I never touch sales. Because I feel like you miss out on the beauty of the connection that happens when you're out there and moving mountains. And the world needs movers and shakers that are coming from the heart. And that's what I'm hoping yeah. to inspire. Absolutely. And how can we bring this all together? Um, and I'm, and I'm kind of wondering if that's the fifth, um, uh, yeah, the fifth stage. 
Yeah. So the fifth love in selling is, you're right, it is what brings it all together. It's self-love, man. It's, it's mm -hmm. you know, I'm in personal growth. I got to bring the self-love. It's the efforts that we make into educating ourselves, raising our own vibration, raising our own mm -hmm. consciousness, right? What are the habits that we have in place? What is the, I call it the, the circles of care that you want to expand. Because again, I spoke about this whole idea that if you're in a privileged situation, you can sell with love. And the more you start radiating out to more people you decide to care about, right? The more you actually will have abundance come to you and the more good you're going to do in the world. And so I'm trying to teach people, like, how do you start having more compassion, more care? Because it's not something that will drain you. It's actually something that will fuel you. And I'm so excited for people that are on this journey. And I often say one more thing when it comes to the self-love and selling. And it addresses a bit of the question that you talked about, which is like, oh, but like, I'm afraid, I'm insecure, I have fear of rejection. I, can I do it as good as other professional salespeople? And I say, hey, listen, like, we all begin somewhere. I... I remember the first time I had to do a telephone sales call, the person hung up on me before I could finish the first line of my script, probably because my voice was so shaky and terrible. They're like, what's going on? Probably didn't hear half of what I said. They just hung out. They're like, I think this person's drunk or something. Like <laughs> they had no idea because I was so nervous about making the first phone call. And, you know, let's not talk about how I first started speaking on stage. Like I remember being in university, I had to do a public speaking presentation and after like 30 seconds of like holding, you know, when you have to hold a paper to read your presentation because you're, you're, you're terrible at it, you know, but the problem with that is that the paper really shakes and make a crackling noise when you're in the front of the class and it's like, and I'm like, God, and I remember I had to stop, turn around, take a deep breath and I had to restart my presentation. It was still terrible, but highly embarrassing. And I could not have imagined that today this is what I do for a living is public speaking on stages, podcasts, virtual, physical. And that started from being really terrible and being like, okay, guess what? That was my best for that day. And everything after that is going to be an improvement. But I couldn't have done better from there because that was already my best. And so I just encourage people to realize that if you just show up and just take action, that's already the best. You're not expected to be a sales extraordinaire on your first step but you're expected to take that first step. And even if you stumble to your knees, get back up and you're already one step forward. Interesting. Like one of the biggest things for me, not just within business or in sales, just in life in general, has been the, the ability to stop judging myself. You know, and I think that really comes into the, the conversation of, of self-love, um, whether that's within like health and fitness and, and working out or, like whatever whatever context you know um so i i, lo I love that you uh added the the self-love because i because th i think people just ultimately judge themselves themselves too much yeah we judge ourselves and we often give up too quick um mm -hmm. i remember noah kagan said that if you're trying anything you know do it a hundred times then make a decision right so if you're feeling like oh i'm not really good at sending random emails to companies that want to buy my product or service well, you can study the minimum, but then go and send 100 emails to 100 different companies and just see what happens. Or if you're afraid of making phone calls, then have 100 phone calls or send a WhatsApp message to 100 people that you're potentially doing business with. Like, just do anything 100 times. I thought that was great advice because I remember doing interviews on Instagram and I was like, I, I don't know if this works, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get to 100. And there's just that when you set that 100 number, what I love about it is every single one of them just feels like less pressure. And when we remove that pressure, that judgment, 
we can afford to fail forward, learn from it, do it better. As a matter of fact, you know, from doing all these interviews, I've gotten better at interviewing myself. And, you know, that's a skill I get to carry. Just like anything that you do to improve your sales, that's going to be something you can apply in your business, in your personal life, in your romantic relationships. Let's let's be clear. If you want to get into a relationship, sales is required. And if you want to keep and grow and maintain a relationship, sales is very much required. Absolutely. Do you believe in the, what is it, the 10,000 hour rule? Yeah, I do. I think if you want to get to a level of mastery, yeah, put in the 10,000 hours, you will get there. Most people give up too quick. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Um, before I let you go, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about what you do, connect with you, uh, listen to your podcast, get your book? Like, where's the best place? Yeah. Well, if, if you're okay with it, Luke, I could actually give him a copy of the first chapter of my book and give him a chance to actually grab one of the meditations I've created that allows you to connect with your buyer persona. Um, I set up a page that's free for people that can go in, uh, get that first copy, you know, get that meditation, use it how you want, but it's really powerful. If you have to do one of those sales activities and you're feeling resistance, listen to that. It'll put you in a great state to just go out there, conquer the day. So if anybody wants that, uh, I'm going to actually set up a link, which is sellingwithlove.com forward slash raising dash consciousness. And, uh, people will be able to grab it there. Amazing. So I will link that down below. I'll link your socials. Um, is Instagram the best place or, or where are you most active on, on social? I'm trying to build more of a habit on LinkedIn. So if you do connect LinkedIn. with me on LinkedIn, which is Jason Mark Campbell, uh, just make sure when you send a connection request, you add a note that says you've heard me on the Raising Consciousness podcast. That way I'll be able to accept the friendship and we can start the conversation. Amazing. So I will link that all down below. And Jason, just once again, thank you for your time today. Um, it's It's been it's been really, really great. And uh, I feel that the audience has gained a lot of value. So um, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.